are very thankful on this day that you stepped in and took our place when we deserved that brutal death. We deserved the flogging, the mocking, the beatings, the crucifixion, Father, but you stepped in and you took our place. You bore the weight of our sin that we may live and have new life. As we meditate on these things, I pray that you would continue to soften our hearts to what you are wanting to tell us, what are you wanting to teach us, Lord, and that we may apply what it is that we learned here. Go out into the world as you also commanded us to make disciples of all nations. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be pleasing in your sight. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. So today, as you know, is Good Friday. And on this Good Friday, we hold a lot of emotions as we reflect on Jesus' last moments, his last dinner, his betrayal of his friends, his arrest, his legal trial, his beatings, and his death, and looking forward to his resurrection. While it's okay to feel all these things, hold the weight of these emotions, I want you all to feel something pretty specific this afternoon. But we'll get there soon. First... I want to talk to you all about one of my favorite historical battles of all time, the Battle of Alesia. Now let me set the stage. On one side you have Julius Caesar, Rome's most agreeable emperor, and on the other side you have Vercingetorix, who was the king of the Gallic tribes. Now despite being neighbors and hating each other so very much, Rome was never able to overthrow the land of Gaul, and Gauls were never able to overthrow Rome. The Gauls were Rome's greatest enemy, and Julius Caesar, he wanted to eradicate them permanently. Now, after a long six years of conquest in Gaul, Caesar had chased Vercingetorix across the countryside to a hilltop city named Alesia. And decisively, Caesar chose not to charge the city. Caesar knew Gaul had 80,000 troops, where Rome only had 50,000. An uphill battle like this would surely spell defeat, but Caesar had a plan. Vercingetorix woke up the next morning and was surprised to see that Caesar, in his tactical genius, or insanity, had built a 10-mile wall around the city of Elysium, and it was adorned with spike traps and a moat. Now, Vercingetorix was cornered. He was not safe, and all Caesar had to do was starve him out. Now, luckily for Vercingetorix, hope was not completely lost. He had called upon reinforcements days before initially entering Elysium. And an army of 240,000 men would soon be bearing down on Caesar from the rear. Now, word had gotten to Caesar about this imminent attack. And Caesar did something just unfathomable. He built a second wall around the first one. And this time it was 13 miles long. Two walls, guys. <laughs> now, this second one had covered their rear. But this meant that Rome would be sandwiched in fighting a two-front war. Now, notably, neither wall could be fully constructed because of the difficult terrain in the area. A narrow gap had existed at a nearby mountain, and if Caesar did not cover it up, his entire plan would surely collapse. If the Gallic reinforcements had gotten through this pathway, they could ride around between the walls and kill every Roman inside. With the reinforcements expected to arrive in just over a day, Caesar swiftly came up with a plan, and Vercingetorix had done the same. The final battle would soon begin. The next day, in the early morning, the reinforcements had arrived, and the battle, it was fierce. According to some reports, the clash was so intense and drawn out that the blades were becoming dull from the combat, and men would die from exhaustion instead of their battle wounds. Mm. Now, Rome fought well, but the mass of the Gallic troops um, had discovered this gap in the walls, this weakness. 
And Agal's reinforcements, along with 60,000 who descended from Alicia, had pushed through this narrow pathway, and Rome became incredibly fearful. The mere 50,000 of them could not withstand the total 320,000 against them, especially on two fronts. All seemed lost, and Vercingetorix had won the war. Or that's what he thought, because as the sun broke over the horizon, trumpets blew, and soldiers were going flying. Because 150,000 Roman cavalry reinforcements, including Caesar himself, had come crashing through the walls from the outside and killed every single Gaul inside. Now what happened was that Caesar sent reinforcements from Rome. He knew the Gauls would aim to push through this weakness, but in doing so they would be stuck inside if they were successful. And thus... Rome had won the war. Caesar was the glorious victor. Now Caesar documented this in his entire Gallic campaign in what would be known as Caesar's gospel in Rome, or his victory message. And this is where we get the word gospel from hmm. in the church. Gospels are victory message. Victory messages inherently. In this gospel for Caesar, it was proclaimed in the streets. It was told to every Roman hmm. and encouraged the country greatly. Hmm. The day had been won, and they just couldn't keep quiet about it. Now, Caesar's gospel was pretty crazy, right? It's so fascinating and a decisive victory. And there's a lot more information that I couldn't share with you because it's a little graphic. <laughs> regardless. Um, but I think that this story pales in comparison to the gospel, this victory story of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, one of Jesus' best soldiers, the Apostle Paul, provides some really good doctrine in Romans 8, 31 through 39 about what this gospel means for us. Let's crack open the word again. Uh, this is going to be on page 944 at the very bottom. Beginning in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Mm. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for, this, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Mm. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now out of this passage, I want to talk to you about why the gospel is about love, why it's about victory, and why we have to walk out of that victory in the gospel. Now quickly, I just want to summarize the gospel so that we're all on the same page. And I think Jesus himself does so pretty eloquently and concisely in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. I could just leave it there so we could go home. But I really want to expand on the love and victory that's present here. Now something worth noting is that the love aspect and the victory aspect of the gospel are intertwined. They're bound together. You cannot simply just have the love and you cannot simply just have the victory. They have to go Together. And the foundation of the gospel is love. So let's break it down. We always say in the church, 
Jesus loves you. You love. You're so love. <laughs> but you know what we say it all the time? It's because it's true. It is so true. Jesus loves you. And it can be proven. You might be asking yourself, why? Why does he love us? Or how could he love us? And I think those are great questions, right? Think about it like this. We, as people, are just so irredeemable, so internally ugly, and so sinful. And yet God. And his infinite foresight and love, he knew this quality about us. And he still chose to give his son Jesus to die in our place. Mm -hmm. And Jesus dying in our place on the cross isn't the first act of love that God commits, believe it or not. God's character has always been to love. Just look at anywhere in scripture. In the garden, the Lord forgave Adam and Eve. Even though they were the first people he created and they still rebelled against him. The Lord made a covenant with Abraham where he declared that he knew humanity would not be faithful to the statutes of the covenant, but the Lord himself would still be faithful. God would be faithful even when we wouldn't be. And that's pretty loving. And we see other examples such as, you know, the Lord giving the law to Israel so that they could identify their sin and serve the Lord well at the same time. If the Lord didn't love us, we would never have gotten these things in the first place. Now on earth, Jesus knew many things. He knew that sin is human nature. He knew sin had consequences. He knew that these consequences led to death and separation from God the Father. He knew the law demanded animal sacrifice as a way to pay for these sins committed. He knew that the most perfect animals had to be sacrificed on our behalf. Something good substituted in place of something bad. Jesus knew he had to obey the law perfectly so that under the law he was blameless, that he would be blameless. He knew that even though he would be blameless, he would die brutally as if he was full of blame. He knew that he would be the sacrifice on behalf of the entire world. And because he loved us, he chose to go through with this death when he had no obligation to do so. We are the ones full of blame. It should have been us. And yet, it wasn't. Again, God knew that sin had to be paid for, and he chose his only son to be this perfect sacrifice so that our sinful record may be on Jesus' shoulders, and his blameless record may be on ours. Jesus' suffering and death allows us to live in peace. Now, death wasn't the only time Jesus suffered on earth. His entire ministry was physically, emotionally, and spiritually demanding. He was beaten, starving, homeless, sleep-deprived, thirsty, grieving, betrayed, Angry, naked, stressed to the point of sweating blood, just to name a few things. He endured all of this, though, because he loved us, because he loves us. And his personal desire for comfort on earth did not supersede his love for us, and it did not distract him from what he needed to do so that we could be safe. Mm. How could the gospel not be about love? Church, the fact of the matter is you are loved. And this perfect, innocent God gave himself because he loves you desires to see you safe. Now let's examine the victory quality of the gospel. In our passage today, in verse 35, Paul asked the rhetorical question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then proceeds to ask if nakedness or danger or famine or distress or the sword could separate us. And it doesn't immediately scream victory, right? But it's a pretty logical question. Because Jesus endured all these things on earth that Paul missed in this passage. How could any of these things possibly separate us from the love of Christ if these things themselves could not derail the love of Christ from saving us? Mm -hmm. And it gets better. In verses 38 and 39, the Apostle Paul proclaims, For I am sure that neither death 
nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And once again, I tell you how logical. Jesus encountered all these things. He encountered angels and rulers and Pilate and Herod and things present. He knew full well and prophesied about things to come. He knew about spiritual and physical powers, physical heights on the mountaintops and physical depths in the tomb. He knew about spiritual heights in heaven and spiritual depths below. Mm -hmm. But what's so radical to me is that Paul starts in verse 38 with, I am sure that neither death nor life will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. All humanity that's ever existed has experienced these two things, life and death. These fundamental realities, these inevitabilities, were still not enough to separate us from the love of God. Death is the most feared thing in humanity and has been for all time. Death was unstoppable, indomitable. Death had not been conquered. Caesar, in all his might, could not defeat death. Mm -hmm. Solomon, in all his wisdom, could not conceive a way to avoid it. Mm -hmm. Who could possibly take on death? This unbeatable champion entered Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus can defeat death. Mm -hmm. In fact, he did defeat death, mm -hmm. and he did so in multiple ways, too. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised many people at the same time when he was dying on the cross. And then finally... He raised himself from the dead. Every possible way that Jesus could defeat death, he did. He made sure it was thorough. And in his resurrection, he lifts up his champion belt and declares victory over sin and death. And again, not only for himself, but for all who believe in him as well. It's quite possibly the biggest smackdown in all of history. And it's great news for us. How therefore... Can anything at all stand against us, church, if God is for us? And this is Paul's point in verse 31. There's absolutely nothing that can overcome Christ, for he has overcome all. Not famine, not the sword, not even death in all its power can overcome our God. This is why Paul says in verse 37 that in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because through Christ, there is nothing that can stop the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. That's the key, though, church, is that we are more than conquerors through Jesus. Without him, we are utterly helpless. With him, we are utterly victorious. Now let's talk about how we have to walk out of this faith. What would it really look like for us to walk as if the victory of the gospel of Jesus Christ is real. First, it gives us great confidence in our champion. If Jesus is fighting for us and protecting us, nothing can beat him and nothing can get around him. Because at his weakest in this human body, these things couldn't defeat him. And now he's sitting at the right hand of God. Who's going to stop him now? Nobody. Furthermore, if we share in that victory, these forces, including the formerly imposing Death have no claim over us, no power over our lives, and now we may experience these things. But they cannot win at the end of the day if we are rooted in our champion, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. It is just like what John chapter 3 said. Whoever believes in him will not perish. Mm. Not in this life, not in the next. But will have everlasting life. Mm. Second, walking in victory causes us to great humility. 
because we ourselves did none of the fighting to attain the victory that's ours. We must walk knowing that every single victory in our lives is through Christ and Christ alone. Yeah, right. That illness that's passed down genetically through your family, what are you going to do? You can't heal it, but Jesus can. Mm -hmm. The weight of your past sin, or maybe even your present sin, you can't bear it. Mm -hmm. Jesus can. Mm -hmm. That fitness goal that just seems so unattainable, mm -hmm. you can't achieve it. Mm -hmm. But Jesus can strengthen you to achieve it. That addiction that has shackled you for a decade, your freedom is only found in our champion. The core of this victory is knowing full well that it is Christ. And we get to share in it. Our freedom from sin and death was won in his name, not in ours. Mm -hmm. My own testimony is full of victory I did not earn. Mm -hmm. I was addicted to, to pornography for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. I would indulge to the point of exhaustion. Everyone around me became a sexual object and nothing more. Mm -hmm. Do you know how hard I thought just to fail over and over and over and over again? How hard I would clutch my bedsheets in despair and desperation only to grab my phone and satisfy my lust moments later? Mm -hmm. Do you know how free I became Jesus claimed the victory that he earned? Do you know how the Lord transformed my heart and mind to love my brothers and sisters like he loves my brothers and sisters? Do you know that since the day I let Jesus fight for me, I've been free for as of today, as of this Good Friday, 583 days. Freedom I did not believe was attainable, but when I let Jesus take the wheel, he freed me. Amen. Praise Jesus. Praise our God. I can testify truly that when we walk in the confidence of the victory and the humility of the victory of Jesus Christ our Lord, freedom from anything the enemy can throw at us is abundant. Yeah. We're drowning in freedom, church, because Jesus stands arm to the teeth protecting us. Yep. Caesar's gospel was proclaimed in the streets. It encouraged the people, and the citizens could not stop talking about it. However, this victory... It was temporary. Rome fell in 476 AD. Mm -hmm. Made this victory in 52 BC worthless. Jesus' gospel was proclaimed in the streets. Mm. Encouraged the people. And his followers just can't stop talking about it. <laughs> but this victory mm. is eternal. And our enemy knows it, right? If you try to walk in self-sacrificial love as Jesus walked, the enemy will try to steer you towards selfishness and hate. If you try to walk in victory, the enemy will try to drown you in physical, emotional, and spiritual defeat. But I tell you, no setback is too great. No lost battle will dictate the outcome of the war because Jesus, in the greatest act of love, conquered sin and death. And we share in that victory and will do so for all eternity. Here on this Good Friday, wipe your tears, lift your head up high, for we know how this story ends. We walk humbly in this victory, church. We must walk boldly in this love. When you let Jesus take the reins, he will lead you deeper into both victory and both in deeper into love. Trust him, for he is our champion. He earned this victory. We did not.